We have two classes planned for tonight. The first one, I hope, is extraordinarily zealous and uh, filled with vigor. Uh, I'll do my best to try and prime the pump on both sides so that you're fighting strongly and vehemently with one another, and we can uh, work through this. And uh, I'll tee that up in just a second. The second hour, I want to talk about um, your understanding of the scriptures as it applies to our lives with regard to our decision making. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life such that it's all worked out and I guess you're in sin if you deviate from said path? How do you know that path? Does he have the college picked out for you? How about your employer? How about your wife? Stuff like that. That's the second hour. So you can start to noodle on that a little bit and we'll see uh, where your work brings us. On the, uh, on the overhead, we have the way, the truth, and the life, Haderek, HaEmet, and I think it's Hachai. Uh, I don't think it's Hachayim. I think it is Hachai. Anybody? Anybody? It is Hachai? Okay. What I have uh, for us tonight is strictly a number of scriptures. I plan to go through these twice. I'm going to go through them the first time and read them out loud for those in Gastonia and parts south, west, and north. And then, after I do that, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the slideshow and we'll walk through them yet again. And this time, we'll have conversation regarding these. So, Matthew 9 11 through 13, when the Purushim, the Pharisees, saw this, they said to his Talmudim, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Yeshua heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Extraordinary. Luke chapter 15, verses 29 and 31. But he answered and said to his father, you know, this is the uh, prodigal son. This is the elder son who didn't leave. But he, that elder son, answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. Hmm. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. The father says to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. What a great promise. Luke chapter 15 and verse 4. We have the master telling a story. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now there's a great character description of our Father. Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. I can hear the wheels turning from here, actually, all around the room. Everybody's trying to get, now what does all this have to do with, where is he going with this? He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, 
receives him who sent me. That being the Father, of course. Let's test your Hebrew now. He who receives a Navi Lashem Navi, a prophet in the name of a prophet, shall receive a Navi's reward, a prophet's reward. And he who receives a Tzadik Lashem Tzadik, a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a Tzadik's reward, a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a Talmud, a disciple, gives to one of these Hakatanim, Little ones, good. Even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Huh. Appears to be an excellent description of our tzedakah, our righteous deeds on the planet, and a promise from the Master. Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40. This is the separating of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are put on the master's right hand, and the goats are put on his left. And he says to those on the right, enter into the rest, prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Then the tzadikim, will answer him, Aronenu. Our Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Hamelech will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24. So he drove the man, that is Adam, out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the Cherubim. Angels. Specifically, cherubs or cherubim. cherubim. It is. That's good, yes. And the flaming sword, which turned every direction. Why? To guard the way to the tree of life. John chapter 14 and verse 6. Have we, have we hit any that you haven't read before? Everybody familiar with all of these? Okay. Yeshua said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John three, nineteen through 21. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? For fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Genesis 18:19 of course about Abraham Avinu Abraham our father for I have chosen him that is Abraham so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord how by doing righteousness and justice 
so that the Lord may bring upon Avraham what he has spoken about him. Hmm. Keeping the way. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Genesis 22, verse 18. Spoken by God to Abraham. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. I like that one. You have obeyed my voice. John 18.37 Therefore Pilate said to him, that is Yeshua, So are you a king? Yeshua answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Hmm. John 10.16 I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Which, by the way, I think really is a slam dunk, if you think about it, on the whole dichotomy of divine imitation, separate Torah for Jew versus Gentile and all that. But anyway... I digress. John 10, verses 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 and 12. You can throw 11 in there if you want, but because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Okay. That's all my slides. That's all my references. I think there may have been 15 references. I'd like to go back now and see if we can't find a commonality and perhaps an agreement on a foundation of belief. I have heard about this way of salvation. And it is a way of truth. And in the end, it provides life. And the Master made it clear that He is that way. He provides life. And He is the embodiment of truth itself. 
I see this as uh, an acknowledgement that he is the written Torah embodied. He is the living Torah. Would you all agree with that? Does that work? Yes. yes. Okay. There is life in no other. There is one name given under heaven by which men might be saved, and it is the name. And there is only one way. That may sound close-minded and very narrow. It may sound like everyone else is wrong. If you're a Muslim, there's one way. Not many ways to God. One way. So, the question that I've been struggling with continues to bother me. And I'd like to focus tonight on biblical terms. I'd like us to focus on biblical texts. And I'd like especially for us to focus on the Torah as our start, on the prophets and the writings as they build on that. But I am still wondering how some of these Pharisees could actually be lifted up by our Master. And yet, we would consider that they did not have life. It seems incongruous at points. So we're going to walk back through these a little bit. I'm just going to kind of point out some of the bold points. And let's, let's take a couple of notes and uh, raise some questions. Here in Matthew 9, the Master is telling a, a story specifically referencing the Pharisees or the Prushim. We read this later on as they're, you know, they get upset about certain things. It is not those who are healthy who need a physician. I did not come to call the righteous. To whom is he referring when he's talking about those who do not need a physician? The Prushim. They don't need a physician. He didn't come to call the righteous. Who are the righteous? The Prushim. Sure. Okay. In Luke 15, the son, again, I think the, the, the context would support referencing back to the Pharisees again, says, I have never neglected a commandment of yours. Well, that's a very telling thing. I don't think that your average son in our culture would say that. I've never neglected a command of yours. Sons don't talk that way to their dads anymore. So I think the text is alluding to something else. And it seems pretty obvious. The Pharisees were famous for being fastidious about keeping the commands of God. What's the father's comment to this son? You've always been with me. All that is mine is yours. I think that's telling. Luke 15. He has a hundred sheep and leaves 99 in the open pasture. They don't need as much direction as the one that is lost. Okay. 
Again, great reference. Matthew 10, we see this whole concept of tzedakah, or doing righteous deeds, and the Master says, in very strong terms, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. It's interesting. You really got to struggle with your theology and stop for a second and figure out, what, what is he saying that they won't lose their reward? This is talking about their day-to-day walk as commanded by the Torah. And he makes it clear they won't lose their reward. Yes. I think we could say that minimalistically. I think we could also, in context, go further and say a place in the world to come. But then you've got a question. Does doing good deeds get you a place in the world to come? That's, that's a problem. Theologically, that's a problem. Yeah. God's judgment is always tempered with mercy. So in that we show compassion to these little ones, that Hashem will also take these things into consideration. I'm reminded of another passage where Yeshua says that he who knows his Father's will you know, and doesn't do it, he's going to receive many stripes. But to him who didn't know, he's going to receive few stripes. Sure. There we have the concept of, of punishment being taken out. Uh, based on what you, what you know. Sure. Good. Good comments. Matthew 25. This passage actually opens up by talking about the ethnos or the nations being separated at the sheep and the goats, not Jews, just for full disclosure. So I don't think it's, it's contextually proper to try and put Jews into this. Now, there may be. I don't know. I'm just saying contextually, I know that it opens with that word ethnos. He will separate the nations. Now, traditionally throughout Scripture, it's us and them. The us, unfortunately, in this case, being the Gentiles, and the them being God's chosen people. And this is us being separated, and tzedakah done to Jews. His brothers is a big deal to the Master. But, I leave that for you. Genesis 3, 
you can't get to the tree of life. Now, there are some that believe that this is not really on this planet any longer, or it's on the planet and we can't see it, or it's on the planet and it's behind some little portal of time or something. I, I, you know, I just don't know. A little wormhole, yeah, whatever it may be. I don't know, but all I know is there's no way to get to the tree of life unless you can get past those guys. It's interesting then, as we know that the, the book, that the Torah opens with this, it's interesting that the master shows up and immediately says that he's the way and he's the life. So if you want to get past these guys, it seems you need to work with him. Interestingly, no one comes to the Father but through me, John 14. In John 3, I think about these Pharisees. He who practices the truth comes to the light. And yet that's their modus operandi. If you want to characterize the Pharisee in its simplest forms without the baggage that professing Christendom has put on it, they practice the truth. They practice the Torah. That's what they do. They would then, according to this passage from the Master, come to the light so their deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. I know a lot of Orthodox Jews following the rabbinic tradition, and I don't think that they would have any problem with you shining a light on their life and their deeds, scurrying away and hating that exposure, as this passage talks about. That should give us a moment of pause if we want to put them in an... Yeah. This is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one may come to the Father but through me. Just throw it out there. Is there not another way of reading that? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. Sounds like subtle semantics. It's huge. Mm. Mm. One implies that you must have a conscious... Uh, slipstream behind him. Right. And the other suggests that you stand at the Father and discover that you slipstreamed behind him. I think in your strips, slipstream fashion, I don't know if that's more aeronautic or more Windows-based with ISO images, but I'll work it either way. I, th- I think... I, I want to focus on that as, 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 as the, the crux of where I'm coming from. And I, don't need, I want to jump ahead. No, no, no. This, this, this is used oftentimes as a, um, I don't want to be disingenuous, but a, a canard to anyone that says, well, uh, you know, there's only one way. I'm sorry, there's only one way, and it has to be this way that I'm about to describe. And, and quite frankly... I firmly believe there is only one way. But, uh, but the question is how you get to that way. Yeah, but the, yeah, exactly, precisely. But the, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing it up is the way that this is traditionally read, it says there's only one way, and I'm about to describe it to you, and it includes raising your hand and walking down the aisle and praying a special prayer. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think almost everybody in this room would say the raising the hand, walking down the aisle, heads well, bowed, I'm, whatever it may actually, be. I'm putting it into a, I'm putting it into a, into a, into a 
that follows a theology. Yes. And the theology, whether you disagree with the raising hand or whatever else, the theology is most people who who come out of Christianity into the not come out of it, yeah, yeah. who come from Christianity to the Torah walk still would say, yeah, yeah, well, there's a way, and I, I'm about to describe it to you. Yeah. And and I, I I think to your point, it would probably be wise if we avoided describing the way and described a person and a relationship. And and maybe that's and, and I think that's where the commonality is in this room. Right? Exactly. Alright? So that still leaves us though with a problem with righteous men who haven't recognized Yeshua. So Let's continue on. I'm almost done. Good comment. Thank you. John 3. It sounds like I talked about that. Yeah, I talked about that. Okay. That's right. Genesis 18. Again, about Abraham to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. Now, you know, I, I don't want to give somebody a buy where they shouldn't get a buy, but when I, when I sit down and I and look at the lives of some of these Orthodox Jews that I'm dealing with, some. Not all by any means. So let's not misunderstand. I mean, there's, there's a heart problem there. There's a pride issue that we need to recognize. And I don't think anybody's just trying to lump everybody in this bucket in here. I'm not. So don't misunderstand. Some Orthodox Jews that I've met have such a love and heart for God and a love for his people that they seem to be doing the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. Okay. That seems to be exactly why Abraham was chosen. Matthew 7. My wife um, brought up uh, a concept that I want to relate to you now. Um, here, and I'm going to try and demonstrate this to you physically. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Can you tell me what the indefinite pronoun reference it refers to? The, the gate that is wide, right? Right? The gate that is wide. They enter through that gate that is wide. Okay. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. What is the it in that? It's the narrow gate. Well, gentlemen, I, I propose tonight that the way of life has many pitholes and potholes and turns. But at the end of this walk of life is a very narrow gate, and many do not find it. But that gate, more so than the way, on the other side is life. And that gate is Yeshua HaMashiach. 
So if I'm on this path and I know God because He chose me, I'm one of His covenant people, He made an eternal covenant with me, and I'm walking along the way that He prescribed in His Torah, and I do the tzedakah that I must obtain reward for, and then at the end... I might get a question. Well, when did we do it to you? When did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we visit you in prison? And it's an awakening. And as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Because I am the way, I am the truth. And now, I provide you the way to that tree of life, which has been guarded. My wife's point was that the gate is not at the beginning of the path, but at the end, where God said He had a barrier, where God said He was restricting those who could get through. Just a thought. Let's keep going. Genesis 22, because you have obeyed my voice. That's what he said to Abraham. Obeying his voice is important. And the Orthodox rabbis of which I'm speaking constantly want to obey the voice of God. They're concerned about that. It's their highest desire. He won't advocate for you, I can no, trust him. Yeah. Actually, if he does, I think you're already yeah, I think pretty hosed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, I know that guy, right, yeah. Um, no, the, uh, my, my point is, um, one more thing to consider. Yes. When dealing with the issue of Abraham and his acts of righteousness, is that um, one of his primary acts of righteousness that was fulfilled by his later ones, including the one that we're just referencing in Genesis 22, was his act of belief in God. Um, belief in a specific action of God is related to his um, descendants. Yes. God's fulfillment of his promise. So, and I would go so far as to say also in that, belief in the gospel message. I would agree. And I think that gospel message is that there is a sacrifice necessary a, of a righteous one for the people. I think he believed that, and I think he knew that. Now, whether he knew it was on a cross, the guy's name, and all of that, I, I can't say. But I, I'll I, just say that I think that he believed everything God showed him about that issue. Amen. So, um, but it's saying that, um, well, it says he believed God. And it was reckoned to him as well, righteousness. The scriptures say it, but is there a way to know it otherwise? Because like, I, I can't know your heart. How do I know what you believe? God. Belief, belief is not thinking. Belief is doing. The belief is doing. And, and, so God, we, and God knew that he would teach his children to obey. Right. The reason we know he believed is because he did something. Yeah. And, and even before he had children, he had, what, 300 and some odd disciples in, in his thing. 318, okay. Good, good point. You want to go now or you want to let me finish? 
There's not just only a few more, and then we'll you know we'll 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 talk. Uh, John 18. Everyone who is the truth. Didn't I talk about that? Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, what does that mean, of the truth? Well, the truth, scripturally, is the Torah. That is the truth. Jesus, or Yeshua, said he was the truth because he is the embodiment of the Torah. If, right. I mean, if, it's, if you're of the truth, I mean, the Pharisees were people of the truth and heard his voice. And, of course, we already know that the, the Master lifted them up as being righteous. John 10, they will hear my voice. Okay. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Interestingly, does that mean they follow Yeshua or they follow Hashem? They're one and the same, are they not? I think that was kind of in the context of John 14, I am the way the truth and the life. Yes. He, Yeshua is pointing out to the disciples. The disciples say, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to the way? Yeshua comes back, I'm the way. No one gets the Father but by me. We always stop there. The next verse is, if you know me, you know, you know the, the Father. father right? Precisely. The, the intriguing thing, though, is it doesn't, it's not the inverse there. I'm not saying what that means. I'm just right. it up. Right. He's not saying, if you know the Father, you would know me. Right. But he's, it's almost like he's assuring his disciples, don't worry, you do know the Father because you know me. Exactly. And he said throughout John, I don't, I'm not doing anything on my own. I'm doing what the Father told me to do. I'm not saying anything on my own. I'm saying his words. I don't say anything. Right. He's consistently trying to point out, if you're following me, you are following Hashem. They will follow me, which means they follow Hashem. And I would argue that these Pharisees were doing that. Yeah, he he consistently makes it clear because there can only be one, right? So if he's the visible manifestation of that spirit of God, I mean, you can't be two. There's not two gods, right? We don't believe that. Quick, so I can finish. So if we look at then we can discuss. All right, as being the central issue. Well, it does, but I think, you know, we need to remember that the Torah speaks of nothing other than Mashiach, right? And their eyes were blinded, right? That's, that's the end goal, that you would see Messiah. And if you don't, your eyes have been blinded. It also reveals that Yeshua did not put aside the Torah after he died. Absolutely, right. without question. Well, this, this is, all the scriptures you're bringing up are interesting from the Gospels. I tried not to. Exactly why Marcion didn't accept the Gospels and only quoted Paul. Mm -hmm. If if you're already predisposed to toss the seventy-eight percent before that first page, well then, yeah. The Gospels are a problem. They are. That was also in reference to Jeremiah when it's saying, "I know them." Hear my voice, and I know them. Jeremiah says it more than any other prophet. That's exactly right. Good point. Good point. Excellent. Second Thessalonians 2, he's talking about the Antichrist coming and they didn't receive the love of the truth. They took, they took pleasure in wickedness. You know what? That is the antithesis 
of the Pharisee. That's the antithesis of the Orthodox rabbi whose heart loves God. Right? All right. Now, I'm done. Space. Space. The final frontier. Right. So now we can just talk about it. I think I've made clear where I'm coming from and we'll uh, hopefully get some fabulous discussion. Gregory, you're up. Yes. Uh, this is a great discussion. This is a, this is an issue that I know I've been. Oh yeah. And we all do, especially as we come across men who obviously love God, desire to keep His commandments, and are looking forward and hastening the coming of the Messiah. But you talk about Yeshua, and all they've heard about is the Torah breaking Jesus and really don't want to go there unless you establish some kind of a personal rapport so they'll trust you enough to at least start to talk about it. So, um, so on the other side of the argument, I'm reminded of the story of Korach. Right? He died in a manner no other man died. And why, why did he die in that manner? Because he he specifically took a stance against, against Moshe. That's right. Against the Moshiach, as he, as it were. Oh, that that particular Moshiach. That's right. So, so you have that example in the Torah that says, if you are going to come against the Moshiach, then you are going against Hashem Himself, and will likewise perish. Right. But I would also so, then so, counter to say that that's, that's, a, that's a time where you saw him. And I think Yeshua was just as harsh on his generation as he was on Korach. So, so your point is because Moses, as the Mashiach figure in that story, was there in the flesh, you know then uh, I there's, no, there's no buy in that situation. Can't be because you're right perhaps, there with him. Perhaps it was not a buy to the Pharisees who rejected him yes. in his day. Right, although, you know, to, to, uh, to make sure that we've got, you know, um, things correctly labeled, there were not many Pharisees against him. Sure. Right? It was, you know, a majority of the Sadducees, the Herodians and so forth, but the majority of the Pharisees were for him. We've seen that already. We had a class on it. And two of them buried him. I mean, it was Pharisees who buried him. So, But yeah, he was very upset with the religious leaders of his day, the ones who were teaching, the one who had seen his miracles, the one who had seen the very evidence of God. And they had seen the Mashiach and rejected him. And he, he had... Very harsh and coarse words to say. Yeah, I would, I would say that generation is just as different today as the generation that ended up coming out of the wilderness. Could be wrong. Hang on. Yes, sir. The, the issue of Korach, though, is uh, Korach, Korach uh, usurped the leadership. And, and uh, not everyone that, uh, that thought that Korach was a good idea actually perished that day. It's the people who actually uh, participated who actually in the rebellion. With him. 
Yeah. And the and rebellion against him. Uh, in that category, you put the leaders, some leaders in Israel at that time who rejected Yeshua, not just rejected him, but said, he's the wrong leader, we want this leader, or Kokhbar, or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Point is, so if you're going to take the analogy, Israel uh, didn't follow Moses a lot, and they didn't all perish. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. Good. the entire generation that did not believe God into the promised land all perished. They all perished and, and died in the wilderness. Even to go so far, and it, this is a generation that's doing over and over and over again, they did what Moses commanded them you know, by Hashem, over and over and over and over and over again. And over and over and over again, they also didn't. They also didn't. They murmured, they complained, they grumbled, they, you know, and they whined. Like the daughters of Zalepahad point out, our father died for his own sins, he wasn't part of Korach, he wasn't whatever. Right. Um, and yet, if you look at the Psalms, the implication at least is there that that entire generation not only failed to enter the um, promised land physically, but was also excluded from the world to come. You, you, get, you get both ways. You, you can. I got to that to my wife. It was yeah. cool that the gate would be at the end where he's separating the sheep and the goats and allowing well, that's entry. Why you do it in, that's why you do it. Well, I, I think we should point out that his sheep are not in the fold yet. They go into the fold at the end. There is no separation of the wheat and the tares until the end. And then they're brought into the barn. So, tag on to that, to that imagery and talk about the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. So mm. You see here mm. that the, the, the believing, you know, Purushim, they follow the Torah, that, uh, that, you know, it was prophesied concerning them, that, uh, that they would be offended, that they would stumble at that word and being disobedient. So... You know, with the concept of progressive revelation, that now the Messiah is here, he's on the scene, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, God knew in His providence that there would be some that would reject Him. Sure. But back to that image that they're walking along the path, and you know, they stub their toe. Yeah. On one day. So they're they're on the way, but you know, they're not at the gate yet. But uh, then then the concept also in the Scripture seems to be borne out that this is this is the way that Hashem has planned this from from the foundation. That they without us should not be made perfect. Right, and that they would. Last, and the last shall be first. And there would be a partial hardening. Flip the tables. He, he gave to them, unto them was committed the oracles of God. And they've been faithful as stewards of the revelation of God and the word of God. Uh, and, and that now that uh, they were also commissioned to be a light to the nations. You know, that, that, that would provoke the nations to jealousy and say, Who has, has a God so near as his right. people right. and commandments so righteous and, and just? Now it's, 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 uh, it, the role is reversed, and we as the Gentiles are to provoke them to, to, jealousy, to jealousy by, by keeping the Torah. Excellent. Yeah, that's true. Do you have some? No, I'll uh, uh, a couple a couple thoughts. One, just following following the generation perished in the wilderness. Um, we. Isn't, isn't the fact that they perished in the wilderness, though, wasn't that a direct result of them not, uh, you know, of the, the, the spies? Right? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. Absolutely. Okay. So not necessarily disobedience to Moshe. Correct. But disobedience or lack of faith and believing 
that they could go in and take the promise. Like lack, lack of faith or believing in, in God's word. Right. Yeah, I think you've got several examples of disobedience leading to death, physical death, of individuals, the guy carrying his sticks, you know, he yells at them for, you know, looking for the manna and stuff like that. But yeah, the whole generation lost it because of a lack of faith, which is exactly the opposite of Abraham, who is who's blessed because of his faith. He believed. Now, how do we see that borne out? By what they did. Abraham believed and he sacrificed his son. He went to a land he didn't know. He taught others about God. He circumcised his family. He circumcised himself. That's crazy in itself. Um, we're, <laughs> that's tough. <clears throat> yeah, something. The, uh, the, the folks that, uh, you know, they sent the spies in. They didn't, they didn't believe God. They believed the bad report. And we see, again, from the actions that bear out their faith, they didn't want to go up. They did not go up, and so forth. So there's, there's that cause and effect we, the belief is borne out by the action. And, and I, I think the lack of belief or faith is, is borne out by other action. And I think this just goes back to my point. I've got guys here that you know, will teach you about God and will tell you His commandments are righteous and true. And they love God. And they're keeping His commandments. This does not seem to be the wickedness of which Yeshua spoke. Yes, sir. One, I don't know if we can take the wilderness wandering as an allegory for what we're doing now, but if we can, just to note a couple of things that have been said. Firstly, I don't think you can compare the Orthodox Jew that you're talking about to Korah because Korah actually rejected Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, I say um, when the Orthodox Jew you're talking about, if it's rejected anything, it's rejected Jesus. Right. Um, not necessarily Messiah. So you would agree with the parallel to the generation that met Yeshua and rejected him? Yes? Right. Okay. And, and about the people who, like I think, I think what you guys were just saying, that the people who died in the wilderness didn't necessarily reject Messiah, I'm I'm having trouble mentally separating the two, and and when I speak to the, uh, you know, when I look at the Pharisees, they seem to be inseparable. If if you love God, you will love His Mashiach. If if you know a man or uh, who who portends to be or could be the Mashiach, it implies a love and understanding of God. Yeah, I mean, it's like two sides of the buttered toast. You can't have one without the other, can you? Right. 
when we look at someone who is um, saved, in quotes, um, who, is, who knows the name of, of Yeshua and stuff, that doesn't fall into that group. Right. Because even if they are doing good things, they know they're doing it in the name of Messiah. Yes. So I don't think that, I think that whole sheep group is, is very telling. Yeah. And, and I do too, that it seems to be, um, uh, if, I, if I, I know some of you have other comments, but whenever I read the sheep and goats thing, my focus was always on what they did. And I would actually just brush off the fact that they called him Lord. And I realized recently, I've been in court I had jury duty, what, a couple months ago. Everybody calls the judge your honor or judge. They don't even know him or her. They don't even know his name. But they call him judge. They call him your honor because they recognize his position. Well, I realized that the sheep and goats thing, they're not necessarily calling him Lord because they were calling him Lord prior to that, but because of the position he's in. It's clear in the second paragraph. The king will say that. They know he's the king. So, the focus becomes not on what they call him. And not on what they did, because both groups did the same thing. It was on the fact that they didn't know for whom they were doing it. That is telling I think I had too slow. You, then you. Um, one quick thing to just drop in. If, I mean, we're talking specifically in this case about Orthodox Judaism. Um, that is, I think, one more wrinkle. It's one thing to question whether or not they know the name of Messiah. But the problems go deeper than that. The majority of Messianic, or the majority of, well, I would say, Messianic Judaism, not our group, but the Orthodox who are Messianic, also challenge us very strongly on the role and place of Messiah. They do not see Messiah as a redemption from sin. They don't see a need for a redemption from sin in that vein. They see a need for redemption for sin, but not... Not Not that way. But I would still question, if someone's theology is messed up, does that mean they have no place in the world to come? But it does question their... It does question their approach to Hashem to a degree, insofar as um, if Hashem has said that you need to have this area resolved for sin to be taken care of. Yes. Like, if I walk in the temple and say, I don't believe I actually need a sacrifice because I'm holy, I'm just going to scroll right up, I will die. Yes. It doesn't matter how many other good deeds I was doing, that's the deal breaker. Right. So in the same sense, I think this is a more serious issue to wrestle with. Personally, because there's a lot of history and a lot of righteous men who definitely are in Hebrews 11, but no clue, I don't think, that his name was Yeshua. I'm less stressing about the name. Right, yeah, I have, I have no problem with the name. I didn't know what he did either, so... I, have a, I know, but I think there is a question of what is the threshold, what is the level of understanding of the relationship to Hashem, and how is that resolved or clarified? I mean, not to mention the personhood of Messiah. I mean, Judaism would reject completely that he is God. Yes. So I think these are issues that need to be wrestled with as well. Threshold thresholds are part of systematic theology. They're not they're not God's word. What are I love the analogy of the, of the gate at the end. 
it's always problematic to take Korah or wandering in the wilderness or the analogy of, because parables were not meant to point by point cry, try and create an alternate universe. Right. So, so Perfect parable. But having, having said that preface, it's very important to me that that, uh, and it wasn't a parable so much, but he uses, it, he uses, he uses figurative language to describe something right. real. Right. Not, and it might happen this way. He, he describes something real using figurative language. But it's interesting to me that the threshold, traditional Christianity says that decision's made before you die. What you just described is not. Correct. It's after. But there was a decision or there, or there was a, a calling and perhaps a, a regeneration, if you will, in those terms, prior to death because they're walking. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. There's, there's a walk. Yes. But there's no recognition or faith in Messiah until, but there is faith in Messiah the moment they say, when did we? You did this. Now enter into your award. Well, duh. Yeah. It, it, here's, my, here's my point, and I'm just throwing this out. I'm not saying this is, this is something to latch on to, but can anybody find for me anywhere in Scripture where the theology says that you've got to decide before you die, that there is no faith Afterwards, I've been thinking that for years now. There, there could be a moment of truth. Well, it's described I mean, to other people as a second chance. Well, I would say that the scripture does say that it's appointed once for man to die and then the That's judgment. The one scripture ever in, but yeah. what, what does it say? It says, <coughs> it doesn't say, and that's it. It says there's a judgment, right. which is what you're describing. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not more room to. Well, wait, no, no, the judgment's there. But it doesn't say, it doesn't mean that if you go to a court right now, what does the judge do? When you walk in, he goes, guilty! He doesn't do that. Right. But it can go either way as far as he's concerned. But that's not the judgment, that's the trial. And if judgment is to be understood by a final final ruling, then there's not room for, um, what is it, your last argument at that point. It's not an argument. The point is, what you're describing is not a... I, but I did this and I did this. That's from Matthew chapter 7. I did this and I did this and he's going, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a totally different group of people. Right. This is a group of people that show up and said, when did I do that? That's different. For you. I did that for you? I don't remember doing that for you. That's a totally different argument. These yeah. are people who are depending on their own righteousness in an argument. In exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's poignant to, to point out they didn't say, when did we do that? When did we do that, we did, when did I do that for, you? You. for you? Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is a topic that I'm not sure we'll ever reach. Uh, I, we will someday, I, but not the end of the I day. I agree. It's not going to be at the end of this day. But, for, but, the, but the, I think the discussions are good because oh, we, we should be able to keep ourselves scripturally based yes. and we're going to find some gray areas in all our theologies that may be stuff that we're carrying that may have to go. Right. On the other hand, I would hope that we're going to be more solidified in what we see in the scriptures. Well, and so with respect to the scriptures, specifically the Torah, I end up coming back to the story of Yosef who 
Yosef is a, obviously a messiah. Without question. Who is clearly rejected by his brothers. Yes. And, and yet he keeps them them. alive. Right. Goes into Egypt. You know, the, we know the whole story. Becomes viceroy of, of Egypt. His brothers come down in the time of famine uh, and and ask for food. They don't recognize him, right? Because he looks like an Egyptian. Talks like you know, I mean, the whole the whole thing. Yeah. They don't recognize him. He, he knows who they are. Right. And we know the whole story where ultimately he gets them all there in the room. He excuses all the servants. Gentiles. Right. And then he he personally he chose the time to reveal himself to them. Yes. And until he until he made that revelation to them, they still up until the very moment before they still had no idea that it was their brother. And and it, when they when he chose to reveal himself and they saw who it was, you know, they had their first reaction was fear. Because they're like Oh my gosh, this is Joseph. He's now he's viceroy. He's going to kick some royal butt for what we did to him. Right? Yeah. So the first reaction was fear and trembling, followed by remorse and repentance. And it was at a time that was chosen by Joseph and not by them. But at the end of the day, Joseph preserved all of his brothers. All, and all of the Gentiles. All you know, along. Egypt was saved as a result of. Yeah. All along the way. He, pro- he provided and preserved them all along the way. So at the end of the mm. day, I think we have to we have to look back at that story as the blueprint for how it's going to happen, the details along the way, you know, had one of the brothers died before he revealed himself, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's why, but they didn't die or not. Well, you know, I, I focus, you know, since the end, we see at the gate, he preserved them and kept them all along that way before he revealed himself. That's what I get from that story. I'd like to, if I might share just a couple of verses. In Second Peter 1.10, uh, going along with uh, the way mm-hmm. the gate, uh, metaphor that we have, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance, the gate, shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you in always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. The present truth. Mm. So, the present what, truth what do you know Mashiach has come. It's been revealed. Yeah. That's the present truth. Good. Good. Um, the other aspect, again, that, that I think plays a role here is this whole issue of the fact that uh, that God has has uh, partially blinded his people, according to Shaul, uh, and there's other other verses. Sure, Romans 11 is big. So, and, and I think we all understand why God would blind his own people to their own Messiah, 
and it's because it's for our benefit. Amen. Right. So we know that there's a greater plan at work here, just like there was in the life of Joseph, right? Um, and it's interesting. I I was just I just happened to be reading uh, the ninth chapter of John, uh, in 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 the context of this conversation, it kind of jumped out at me as, as maybe a sort of a mess here, but. Um, uh, or at least a drosh on this, this idea. Because in John chapter 9, that's the story of, you know, Yeshua heals the man, uh, the blind man on the Sabbath. Right. And the, the, the Pharisees hear about it, and they call the guy in. And they call his parents in. Call his parents in. <laughs> and, you know, blind from birth. We've never had this before. Right. Blind from birth. How did this happen? Who did this? Why did this happen? And they, you know, and they're kind of bent out of shape over it, right? And they toss the guy out. And Yeshua, uh, you know, hears what happens. Um, and he, and he uh, verse 35, Yeshua heard that they put him out, finding him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Yeshua said to him, you have, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Yeshua said, For judgment came into this world so that those who do, who do not see may see, and those who see may be blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him, so there's Pharisees following Yeshua around, right, right. heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? And Yeshua said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. Uh, that's an interesting statement. But since you say we see, your sin remains. But the point here, what jumped out at me is, is Yeshua saying, I came. So that those who see, Allah, the, the Pharisees and the ones who sure. would, be, would be made blind so that those who don't see, Could see can see. But then he makes the statement, but if you're blind, you have no sin. Hmm. So, I, you know, I'm not sure oh, how all that fits in. Maybe it doesn't fit in at all. I don't know. But it, so you're responsible it, for what you know. Is that what you're saying? Actually, it's it's not it's not it's not that kind of universalism. It's 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 yeah. specifically focused on these men who are obeying, but are going. Are we blind? And he's he's focusing on on a group of people. Because if 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 Hashem if, no if Hashem yes. has you know his hand over you know, over your eyes, and you can't see him. Oh, well, you, you can't see me. And so <laughs> you can't see me, you can't recognize me, you can't recognize me, so you're, you're damned eternally. So. <laughs> it's like, take your hand away, I mean, I'll by, recognize you. By contrast, if God ordained for that person to sin, then there, are, there really is no sin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, this us <laughs> says, if you do not accept me, you do not accept the Father, do not know me, you do not know the Father. If you had loved me, you would love the Father also. If you had loved the Father, you would love me. All of those things. Because the implications there are, are deep. Sure. And, and, and John does the same thing. Sure. And I think we need to question, is he speaking 
to that generation, just like Korach's generation, or is he speaking to all people at all time? But First John is First John is written sixty years later. Yes, the exact same thing. Mm. That's a different generation altogether. John is one of the last surviving members of that generation. No question. I, I, uh, but I would question if he says exactly the same things. Yes. Uh, not, not to stir this up any, anymore. It, it's intriguing to me whenever I hear these kind of discussions, though. Rarely does the reverse come up. People who know him but don't follow him. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's very obvious if you lie, steal, cheat, then you're not following him. But there's a whole lot of people that they can read very clearly in their scriptures, don't do this, and they do it anyway. Uh, you know, uh, Leviticus 11 doesn't apply to me. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not a Jew, so I don't have to do this. So, why does that not come up? You can even toss the Torah side out and just stay in the apostolic scriptures and you've got the same thing. But but what what I'd like to do is I'd like to offer the contrast. It's always intriguing to me that that this one, like, huge deal, like, I've got to know who Jesus is, and that's what settles it uh, for the Orthodox Jew. But he has a life of, of steadfastness but man, he missed out on that one little, that one thing, that's it. Whereas the average Christian, he does whatever, and boy, he got that one thing right. He got to the, me, the fire and insurance. It's all couched under the terms of, of having faith. No, no, he doesn't have faith because his walk does not demonstrate mm-hmm. faith. Right. And I'm not talking about just because he doesn't like cheat and steal. I'm saying, does he, does he follow the, the, the dietary uh, 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 commandments of God? Well, then he's not demonstrating faith. Well, I think I think a master spoke to that in Matthew five, um, and made it clear that if you don't keep even the least of the commandments, and you teach someone else not to as well, you'll be least in the kingdom. So there there seems to be a. So they can abide because they walk the well, no, I, no, I'm not going to say that. No, I. I but I think I'm, I'm with you. But I think that there's a balance between faith and stupidity versus a hardness of heart and lack of faith. So I, I think I think my point. We give our we give our Christian brothers, and I do I include a big buy, a big buy, because we see we see that they demonstrate true righteousness even while disregarding some portion part of the Yes. Okay. So we give them a buy. Why? We give them a buy because well because they know who Yeshua is. And we don't want to give the Jew a buy because because we see the gate at the beginning. And you can't be on the path of righteousness if you don't go through that gate. And I think the gate's at the end, clearly from the text, context, and the walk of righteousness has been described very clearly in the Torah. So, so in just scales... Which, which, one, one last comment, if I may. We, we, we do need to give them both a buy, I think. But I think it's impossible to walk that path. Unless God has done something in your heart, because no man desires to to obey Him. I just it just occurred to me while you were talking about the Romans during the time of the Master, uh, the Apostle says there are some that don't follow with us, and they're baptizing. Yeah. In your name, and he says, "Shouldn't we call down lightning from heaven?" <laughs> no, but uh, no man that uh, I think uh, the Master says that uh, he's not they're, against us. Yeah, they're, they're not against So his theology is fuzzy. <laughs> Yeshua's theology. Yeah, I love it when Yeshua's theology is fuzzy. I got you. I just, I've been thinking about the uh, discussion that's been a great discussion so far. It's really been caught.
causing me to think a lot about this issue, you know, and with what uh, Sister Allen said about the gate being at the end of the path as opposed to the beginning. Because, you know, I've heard even that you know, Jesus is the gate and you have to go through by him and if you don't and find some other way, then you're like a thief. And, you know, Climbing in a different way. So I'm, I'm which, which are all true statements. The question is when that happens. Sure, right, exactly. The one who's gotten to the wedding feast, which, by the way, is at the end, and comes in without the right garments, came in the wrong way. He's tossed. The sheep are put in the pen at the end, not the beginning. So can we um, maybe look at it within the context of what Griff brought up about Yosef and when he revealed himself to his brothers and see that with... Um, the Orthodox Jews today who are very much following the Torah. Zealous for the Torah. Be zealous and live uh, according to God's righteous standard. Are they on that path and that when Yeshua reveals himself, then they will say, when did we do? That's exactly when I think it will be. And I think that's when they will look upon him who they pierce, Zechariah chapter 10, 12. I've been listening to all the great conversations. Well, I'm, I'm giving you one side of it. I mean, I mean, I, th- I think clearly the other side is it doesn't matter what righteous deeds you have. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. And it doesn't matter whether you keep a righteous life or not. There are righteous men who will burn in hell. Why? No, I don't think that's true. That's my argument tonight. I don't think it's because they didn't know him. If you speak of Yeshua... If you speak of God, that's true. It's because they're doing righteousness just for righteousness' sake. They did not submit to the righteousness that comes from God. Precisely. If they don't know God and desire to keep that path because God has caused them to do so, if they're just moral people, they have no hope. Yeshua or not. They have no hope. Because the fix that God provided for mankind cannot be applied to them because they've rejected God. Right? I mean, that, that's, at least that's my play. Right? Your, your mileage may vary. Final comments? Oh, I just, just to follow up on the point that Joshua raised about, you know, these other scriptures were clearly, you know, uh, Yeshua makes it pretty emphatic. Reject me, you know. Um, You're lost. So trying, you know, trying to reconcile that in the context of this discussion in, in my current position. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is what I believe today. At this moment, is I mean, there's there's absolutely in in in, in my uh, in my view, there's it, Yeshua. It, there there will come that point when Yeshua reveals himself to. To his people. To his people. And at that point in time, every person has the opportunity to accept or reject. I mean, going back to the to the Joseph story, I mean, just imagine if Joseph had revealed himself and then they realize who he is, and then they you know I mean, you would probably have a much different outcome, I would imagine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so whenever that revelation happens and, and he 
controls when that revelation happened. Whether, you know, whether it's this at the beginning, middle, and, you know, I, who, knows, who knows? And I think, you know, some big comments have been made tonight. But uh, whenever it happens, the Orthodox Jew will have to make the same assessment of who he is and accept what That the Pharisees did the first time he was here. And if they, and if they don't, then they'll suffer the same consequences that everybody, everybody else will. Exactly. Think Joseph tested He so says that. So did he? So so was that? So did he know what the response was going to be when he revealed himself before it even? I I don't know if Joseph did. I know that Yeshua will, and I know that God does. You bet. And we and we have the response in in in, in Romans chapter nine. Right. The gifts of calling God are irrevocable. Right. And the mystery is all Israel. Will and that's be the other point. Is it's a mystery? All Israel will be saved. Yeah. But to Chris's point. He does point out that when this, in the Joseph story, taking the allegory one to one, the seeds for repentance were already there because it makes very clear that the brothers were already going. We blew it. We're being punished because we we killed our brother, and that was a mistake. And Judah specifically intervenes. That's right. On behalf of Benjamin, who interestingly enough has some really interesting parallels to the believing the. Messianic Gentile in our context. Yeah. It, I mean, Gentile would be Jewish, actually. Um, society. So, it looks to be as though before Messiah, Joseph, the Messianic figure, is revealed, that the seeds of repentance are already bearing fruit. So, I don't know that it's fair to say it was like a light bulb came on. They had already made the process, mm -hmm. and then they realized, oh, you're not dead. Oh, ooh, okay, now what? But they were already there, ready for that, in a sense. Yeah. But they still didn't know, know him until they were there. That's right. So they didn't have faith in him. But they were ready for it. And that's my point. All right. Nice job. It's always a good discussion. Last thing. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In regards to the gate. No, it has nothing to do with the gate. Because you're on the path of righteousness, you're on that way, and you die here. This is a time in the future, right? So, I, I wouldn't say that has to do with you at that point. It may, you know, like a private judgment opportunity, but I don't see that in the scripture. Well, actually, be present. Be present. Actually, if you, if you remember the passage, it said, our, 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 my Lord, or our Lord, uh, to be absent of the body may be standing in front of the king right there. That's that right. Moment. That's right. Now, whether it's a judgment opportunity at that moment or not, I think is debatable, but it sounds like... Uh, the analogies brought up before, I mean, Yeshua did it in, in Matthew 7 where he said, you know, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, give me God, and list all the stuff that they did. That day is this day. Right. So... You know the, the the you know the notion of uh, you know Christianity is traditionally taught against soul sleep. You know it's like okay, well we're not really sleeping, so somehow we get to be in His presence, but we're not really we, we haven't yet been judged. So later we'll come. Right. To well, that's where purgatory and all that and, came yeah, from. Exactly, and it's all it's all very understandable. It's a great theological construct. Scripture doesn't support it. The reason why is because Scripture is deal, is is dealing with things in man's terms and man's right. language, talking about time, and there is no time. Right, and then we're like disembodied and 
presence of the Lord. We yeah. haven't been clothed yet. Yeah, all, all Revelation does give us some disembodied people yeah, somehow. Yeah. somehow. So we, we don't know how the Well, you've got some with bodies, some without bodies, some that get bodies later. It, That's right. Because they got, they lost their heads for the Lord. All right, let's take a break. But actually, actually the soul.